This is the Talk Theater in Chicago interview podcast. I'm your host this week, Anne Nicholson Weber, and my guests are Fred Ensavino and Aaron Benham. Fred, as probably many people know, is the artistic director at the Ubiqué. Um, Aaron is the music director, arranger, and pianist um, for the current show at Theo, which is uh, a Cole Porter songbook. And um, the piece was developed by Fred Aaron, working with David Hyman, the choreographer. And what I'm most interested in in understanding is how do you put together a night, a review in a small space, a small review in a cabaret space that somehow can represent the vast breadth of something like Cole Porter's output. So I think where I want to start is where did you start? First of all, you decide you're going to do it, and then you look at all the work, and then what? Well, basically, um, what we've been doing for the past several years is every summer we have an American songbook type cabaret review where we choose some sort of famous, interesting American songwriter. We've done uh, Harold Arlen in the past, uh, Jules Stein, and this summer we decided to choose Cole Porter. And uh, Aaron Benham, who had worked on the Jules Stein show with us last summer, uh, was recruited again this summer because he did such a fabulous job to do the arrangements. And basically, we sat down and we said, what are we going to do here? How do we present this in a different light? Uh, there are many Cole Porter reviews that are already written, mm-hmm. and we decided not to go that route because then you're confined to other people's ideas. So, of course, we sat down and we thought, well, let's tell a little story, mm-hmm. you know, and... Uh, Cole Porter was a very interesting man. We read his biography. Aaron did a lot of research, and we did a lot of research on the man himself. And uh, we thought, at first, we were going to use just three singers and somehow tell a story of, kind of follow him through his own words and music, um, exploring his personal life, et cetera, et cetera. And this went on for about three weeks where we just picked material and then all of a sudden, I thought, you know what? We're missing the, the boat here again. It's not about this storytelling, and it's not about us. It's about Cole Porter. It's about Cole Porter's music, Cole Porter's lyrics. And a lot of times when you do reviews, you work outside of the box, and you try to be different than everybody else, mm-hmm. and you try to create, you put yourself into the piece rather than let the music speak for itself. And so... Ultimately, we decided just to pick the songs that we wanted to hear and celebrate those songs with pieces of uh, thematic themes mm-hmm. rather than a whole, you know, big storytelling uh, nonsense. So basically, <laughs> we went, we bought all the Cole, we bought all the music for Cole Porter. And it, Aaron and I, and sometimes David, would sit in a room and he'd sing the songs for me. I'd say, I like that one. I don't like that one. That's a possibility. Uh-huh. Put that one over here. Definitely that one. And then, you know, so you just kind of uh, pick and choose, pick and choose. And finally, right up until, I would say, two nights before we opened, I, I cut a few songs. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're always changing and creating and redeveloping, et cetera, et cetera. So you said something that that I didn't totally understand. You said if you had gone the original route, which is to do this sort of biography of of uh, Porter through his music, 
that that was about you. And I didn't understand that connection. Well, because that's imposing my ideas on the songwriter himself. This is a cabaret show. So basically it's about what the man wrote, his music, and his lyrics. Uh Not about me trying to, because I didn't know Cole Porter personally, and I didn't want to impose any storytelling that I would presume after reading his biography, you know, adding mush to the story. Mm -hmm. I think what's important is to celebrate the work. It's like seeing a piece of art, you know, and a beautiful painting, and then somebody drawing something on his painting. Right, I, I do. So just letting the songs speak for themselves. Exactly, yes. You said it really well once. I forget if it was this summer or last summer. You said people just want to see pretty people in pretty costumes singing pretty songs. <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, that's what makes a good summer show, you know? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Just enjoy the music, man, so... Um, and, I mean, other than saying, well, we don't want to make this into a biography of Cole Porter. We're just going to do the songs. Did you also ever consider having spoken text um, in the new version? No, I don't really go for that. Mm-hmm. When it comes to cabaret um, reviews, mm-hmm. I really strongly feel, and it's, I always say it's not about me, it's about the songwriter. And once I start putting words that are not... theirs. Yeah, yeah, it seems like I'm taking away from the essence of who we're trying to celebrate. Yeah, 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 I see that. Well, but you do then have the problem, no matter what you do, whether you tell a story, whether you have words, you're affecting the way the audience hears the songs because they're A, out of context, and B, in a new context. They're out of the original context, and they're now juxtaposed in new ways. So I, I have to think that that's something you think about. Well, there is an emotional cycle that you want to take the audience on. Right. I mean, obviously, the opening number, you want it to be exciting and draw them in. Right. And then the second song, you know, it should be kind of a lively, because you want to bore them to death with three or four ballads in a row. Uh-huh. And then you want to take them on an emotional journey. And there are also medleys right. that are chunks of songs, like the Paris medley, right. um, that lasts about 12 to 15 minutes. So that's a whole chunk in itself. Stanislavski calls them beats. So they're like beats right. within the cabaret show. Just that are created by the emotion of the songs. Right, themselves. and you don't want to bum everybody out all night with <laughs> ten ballads. <laughs> right, right. Well, I, I remember when we came up with the idea for the Paris Medley, we were sitting talking, and all of a sudden I go, hey, there's all these songs about Paris because he lived there for mm-hmm. a, a big chunk of his life and he always loved it. Why don't we just go to Paris in right. the show? Because we can. Right. And it turned out to be, I don't know, one of our favorite it was one of my favorite parts of the show. It's just it's fun, section, and you yeah. know, like, and it and it brings a particular taste, uh, flavor to the music that he's talking about. The city that has such a strong flavor, and I thought it also brought out different aspects of the singers. Um, mm-hmm. There's something about when you're being French that it, you know it <laughs> right. brings out something a little you put different. Put the beret on all of a sudden. sudden right. Well, see, I didn't know what I was going to do with it when I heard him. When I heard the complete medley song. I was like, well, you, it's not done totally straightforward. So we mm-hmm. put it in a little, we just kind of suggest a little French cafe uh-huh. and she's the French waitress and she's the tourist. And so that kind of stuff, I think, even though that is coming from the outside, it's, it's sort of the opposite of what I just said. Mm-hmm. It's still, I think that enhances the uh, experience for the audience with the music and the lyric. Yeah, I, ju- I hadn't thought about this, but if you go just hear a 
a singer do an act in a nightclub. It's them. It's always them, right? They don't play characters. This is kind of right in a, in a gray zone between... They, certainly nobody plays a single character throughout the night. Nobody is just themselves either, right? There's sort of a shifting Correct. context that you're creating. I think that's why we call ourselves cabaret theater. Mm-hmm. So we blend the two together. Cabaret and theater. Yes. Right, that's mm-hmm. what you're saying. We should listen for a minute to a little bit of the, the Paris medley. Yeah. got those layers of songs going on top of each other, I would assume that just harmonically you can't do that with any two or three songs, right? There has to be some compatibility, not just in the lyrics and the, the theme of the song, but just musically. So what is it, what are the limitations on what kinds of songs you can lay on top of each other like that? Well, I think, I don't know, if you're creative enough, you can put any configuration of songs together. Um, either it's thematic that they fit together, like mm-hmm. the medley we have, um, you're uh, easy to love, and you'd be so nice to come home to. Like uh, those, just kind of similar, similar feelings. Um, right? And sometimes it's you know it's harmonic. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you'll find oh well these chords are very similar to these chords in this song, so it's almost just asking to be put together. Um, no, I think that's that's why I like doing these things. I like finding ways to fit two songs that you wouldn't necessarily think go together Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden making, I don't know, a new piece out of it. And what are the tricks of the trade for that? I mean, how do you, for instance, I mean, just even harmonically, when you want to do the kind of um, contrapuntal arranging that you do sometimes, Mm. how do you do it in a technical sense? Uh, It's a, a lot of trying and a lot of making mistakes and then going back and fixing it. Um, it's a, a little bit of fudging, uh-huh. compromising. You might have to move a note here and there just to, to get it into the chord. Fit in the chord. Uh-huh. Um, I know, it's a lot of planning. I do a lot of singing. Like I'll be driving and I'll try singing it. You know, does this work? Okay. Okay, now I'm going to go home and re- play it out and write it out. Uh-huh. It's a lot of trial and error for me. Uh-huh. So it's- um, yeah. It's just kind of like all the puzzle pieces and you keep trying them different ways yeah. until they fit. And then like we would even get into rehearsal and we start uh, rehearsals with music. And I would say, oh, well, that doesn't quite work. Okay, well, Sierra, I need you to sing this note here and change this. And mm-hmm. there's a, a lot of working with the singers too to figure, and they help me a lot to figure out what sounds good and what fits in their voices. Uh-huh. That stuff. Well, I guess, is, so that would be true for any song you were arranging for these singers, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. You're, you're always kind of tailoring it a little bit. Always working. I, uh, uh-huh. I, was, I, was, I was telling someone I would rehearse every night, go home the next morning, 
write new stuff and come back to rehearsal. Right. It's it must a be around the clock process. But it's very fulfilling for me. You know, mm-hmm. it's I don't know. It's almost like I'm working with Cole Porter on mm-hmm. these things. Uh-huh. It makes me feel like I'm a part of. Do you have any conversations with him? Has he has he sat oh, on your yeah. shoulder and said? Oh sure. You know, we have a martini every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about it. Did he ever tell you, no, no, you can't do that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what did he tell you you couldn't do? Oh, there's all kinds of things. <laughs> well My heart belongs to daddy. Yeah. <laughs> what what about we, it? Well, we had to cut that That's one. That's a tough song, actually. Uh-huh. Um because, you, you know, I've been in, uh, I was a performer back in the day, and I've been in shows where my heart belongs to daddy was in the show. And usually it's done by the poop poopy dooey blonde, right, you know. And it yeah. works that way with mm-hmm. a Marilyn Monroe type character. Well, Aaron came in with a more s- sexy, jazzy, bluesy, I would mm-hmm. say, type version. And as I was watching the performer perform it, I thought, you know what? I don't think we can get away with this it's in this day creepy. and age. It yeah. is very creepy yeah. to watch a young. <laughs> so who's she in love with her dad? Yeah, it, just it, feels was, it was sort of creepy. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and so I just said, we got to get rid of this. That's thing. not the right feeling yeah. for what you're no. trying to do here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It worked in theory, but then when we it got sounded up there. interesting, but it mm-hmm. just didn't sound. It right. looked like. Ooh, dear. Yeah. I always think that's such an important part of making theater and probably any art is you you get these great ideas and then you put them up and someone has got to be the one who says, it sounded great. It's real tough. Because he loved that. I mean, and, you know, I I wanted to plug it earlier on and Uh he said, no, give it a chance, give it a chance. And I did. Uh And then two days before we opened, I said, Aaron, I have to. I gave it the chance. Yeah. And I feel (laughs) terrible about it. Yeah. But I think that he, you know, appreciates me and respects me to know that I'm only going to do do what I think is best for everybody and everything, you know, so that's good. I had to, I actually struggled with this because, you know, I always had to keep reminding myself, Aaron, you're not the composer. You don't have to, you know, it's your job to kind of make the songs work and Mm -hmm. you can't get too attached to some of these, you know? Yeah. So I had to really, you know. Yeah, sometimes we ego, try to ego struggle. For we me. try to manipulate the material a little too much, and that's where the problem always lies. Yeah. I mm-hmm. think. Well, like you said earlier, I have to remind myself it's not about me; it's about right. the show. Right. So. But but that's interesting too. I was thinking as you were talking about um, the the style and the the historical style. I mean, I don't know. Are there sort of received arrangements? Are there Noel Coward's own arrangements, or do all you have is the chord progressions, the words, and the the tune? Mm-hmm. Um, but still, you would certainly know what nineteen, what th- whatever you're, we're in the forties, fifties, forties, fifties. What how popular music of that type would have been arranged, mm-hmm. and you would have had the choice to just do that. I, in, to my ear, you didn't do that at all. You did something that definitely brings a new take on some of these mm-hmm. songs. Right? Do you agree? I uh, yeah, I did a lot of research. You know, just tried to. Okay, what are what are my options? You know, what kind of palette do I have to to paint with? Um, what what was the research? What do you mean? What were you looking at? Or I looked or at interpretations. Um, like Fred gave me a lot of great like jazz singers to look at. We did a lot mm-hmm. of Frank Sinatra, um, Billy. So listening Holiday. to recordings, listening. Just, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you know, looking at the way that they did it on Broadway originally. You know, mm-hmm. Kiss Me Kate. How do they do? Are there what videos are there? A lot. Uh-huh. YouTube was a really big aid for me. Yeah. Um, I watched, you know, the way Liza and Mikhail Baryshnikov did Too Darn Hot, you know. Yeah. And right. 
just trying that's to get fun. a big swatch, you know, and then in the end saying, okay, well, that's how it was done. How can we pull from that, but also make it, you know, ours. So if you had to pick adjectives to describe your own style as an arranger, what would you, what words would you use? Um, oh, I don't know. I try to be orchestral, uh-huh. do it as much as we can, you know, with four singers in the three piece band. Um, Interesting. Try to keep it interesting. And I don't know. It's interesting because uh, it's interesting. <laughs> what from last year's um, Jill Stein piece and this year's Cole Porter piece, I definitely can hear an Aaron Benham um, emotional Voice. interpretation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I don't know exactly how to pinpoint it. It's dissident in some yeah, ways. Yeah. Um, it's emotional. Um, sometimes he needs to pull back, I think, because arrangers have a tendency of overarranging. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. and I would say that's a little too much, Aaron. Bring it back a little bit. Um, but he definitely has a style that uh, is very similar from the last uh, Jill Stein piece as well. Uh-huh. So that's a good thing to have a recognized, that's an Aaron Benham arrangement right. type thing, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, I think there are artists who can be chameleons, and that's one kind of artist, and there are artists who just have a real personality, and yeah. that's another kind yeah. of artist. Um, is is the still of the night, would you say, a, a kind of a typical Benham arrangement? Uh, yes. You can say no. In, in the spirit of I was, that was one of my um, challenges. You know, mm. I, I had this idea, and I thought, is it going to work? Um, and that was probably one of the hardest pieces to put together in the show just because it was hard to count because there's a lot of triplets against duplets in mm-hmm. it and it's it's almost kind of very free-forming and melismatic, I guess is a good word. Um, but in the end, it, I'm very pleased with it. I think it's an absolutely beautiful way to hear what turned out to be one of my favorite Cole Porter songs. Yeah. I never knew it before I started working on the show, and I remember Fred was like, Aaron, this is a great song. We should put it in the show. And I listened to it, and I thought, ooh, we could really do something mm-hmm. atmospheric yeah. with it. Well, when you said you had an idea, but it was really hard to realize, what was that germ of the idea that you first had when you approached the song? I, I wanted to do that, create that atmosphere with mm-hmm. the song, because we have the, um, the vocal line, which is sung by Sierra, and then the three other singers, which are echoes, you know, mm-hmm. they're like voices in the wind, you know, kind of repeating things that she says or, you know, um, emphasizing things that she says. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to bring Call out... Call and response kind of... Exactly. Yeah, and that was the idea. Almost like, I would like to think, you know, you can't even see them, you just hear these voices coming in and out, and it's really the thoughts in her head, you know, wow. as she sings to her lover in this song. Well, let's so listen to that one as well.
That's beautiful. Thank you. Well, um, uh, let's go back to the, the question of, of structure. And I know you've said you have to, you know, kind of uh, alternate tone and um, emotional tone, let's say, you know, upbeat, downbeat, basically. But I have to think there's more you need to consider as you're beginning to string the, the pieces together. And, and maybe, Fred, this is where you would come in. Is it- you know, I'm very impulsive, and I'm a very emotional sort of guy. So I kind of just kick back, and I I play towards the end of it. When we're starting the run-throughs, I just pretend I don't know anything. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting in this room. I open up my heart, and I let the the performance and the music take me on the journey. And... I'm very instinctual and impulsive, and I, if I have a good feeling about it, or if my, if my heart is saying, wait, I just went through that emotion, I just cry. I mean, I'll be sitting there with tears during rehearsals, and they would be like, what are you crying for? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's because I just try to open my heart up to the whole thing. And if I'm laughing, if I'm crying, you know, it's like I just count on my own instincts. Right. I've been around long enough, and how to open my heart up. And I think that's the best way for me to uh, judge the journey of an evening. Uh huh. So, did you do a lot of of re- rearranging in the sense of putting things in different orders over the course, or did it start at one way and kind of stay that way? No, it changes. It changes. Um, I'd say fifty percent. Yeah. You know. Well, I know we had certain posts, like we have to have a good opening for both acts and a good closing for both acts. Right. Um, and I, you know, somewhere along the line, it landed, well, we have to end with Night and Day because that was his biggest hit uh-huh. back uh-huh. when, you know, back when he was at his prime, he was known as the, the composer Night of Night and Day. Uh-huh. So we thought, oh, we have to end with that. Mm-hmm. And so, we, okay, well, that's where we can start. How are we going to start act two? Oh, Riding High is super fun. No one, you know, it's lesser known, but it's super fun. Mm-hmm. So let's kick off with a, with a bang in Act 2. So that we found, you know, mile markers, and then we could, you know, move things around. What's also aspects. important, too, is that you have a company of four singers. Right. And you have to divvy up the material so everyone has their spotlights, right. you know. Right, And um, if... Actress number one or singer number one sings two or three songs in a row, you know you're wrong. And you got to divvy it up between solos and duets and the actor ensemble, one right. and ensemble yeah. and, you know, yeah. all that. So that's the technical mm. end of it, too. Uh-huh. So, I mean, the, the underlying uh, principle seems to be just kind of variety. <laughs> you have to right. move from one type of thing. We had I Hate Men in there at one point as a duet. And uh, it was right before uh, Brush Up Your Shakespeare. Uh-huh. And I thought we're hitting the same thing twice, the same emotion twice. Uh-huh. I Hate Men and Brush Up Your Shakespeare pretty much, although they're very different musically, but they're the sort of same journey that I'm going to take the audience on. And uh-huh. so we took out I Hate Men and we kept Brush Which Up Your Shakespeare. Funny. I fun. love that that's number. A, that's a good number. That's a great number. Yeah. Well, another element to all this is obviously the four actors, singers, and I felt that they were very different in, um, vocally. And they, they, if I had to guess, they come from somewhat different worlds in terms of training and where they've been. I'm, I don't know, but there's kind of one of the women, to me, has sort of a torch song quality to her. And um, you know, then you have a real musical sounding you know, Sassy, voice. Sassy, brassy, yep. upper and then, voice, yeah. 
um, and almost operatic. So you've got the singers bringing a style into the room. So that, I would imagine, then affects how you divvy the, the music up as well. Oh, definitely. So it's not just range, for instance. It's, it's quality. Can you talk about any example of, of that? Yeah, well, I mean... I agree. Like our singers have the range of voice types, but in the end, it came down to their musicianship. You know how mm-hmm. one, how well can they sing together, mm-hmm. and two, how um, how can they interpret these songs in their way? Um, I my first thought is of Will, who is more of an operatic right. style voice. You know, he's got that big round sound, but when he sings. Um, easy to love he just like fits right in with that you know billy holiday style so and they're certainly yeah. versatile but they do yeah, bring yeah. a strong flavor i mean also beside musically what they can handle but they're you know this is a non-equity company and they're young people they're they're not they're seasoned but they're they're up and coming type people right, right. and some of them you know can handle it beautifully the emotions of the lyric and sometimes they are not relating to the lyric at all. For mm-hmm. example, one of the songs that we cut that we worked uh, a lot on was uh, Love for Sale. Mm-hmm. That's a tough song. I mean, yes. and that takes a little more of a seasoned performer who is sort of can relate in their own person, not, you know, right. <laughs> specifically. Not literally, right. But there needs to be some sort of substitution they can latch on to to make mm-hmm. that song believable. And I didn't feel like we were getting there with the, a younger group, so right, right. I pulled it a couple right. of days before we opened right. as well. Yeah, and that's one of the things I love about what you've done, Fred, is kind of um, shepherd into the scene quite a number of of singer actors. And I was talking before the um, before the podcast about uh, Beth Lanza, who had done Light in the Piazza with you, and really was in the storefront musical scene, which is kind of an amazing, there's such a thing, right? Um, and then had kind of a big break at Marriott and did South Pacific. And I, I, I have this, the impression that this is something that you consciously enjoy doing, that you like to foster new talent. Is that Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So what do you look for when you're auditioning people who are, are you know, just less experienced it's got to be some way you're spotting something it's you know it's pretty i've been auditioning people people actors and actresses and singers for quite a long time i don't mean to boast but i can pretty much tell within a minute Mm. whether or not if they have an honest heart if they have an honest base is huge for me yeah if they're telling a story from their heart and honestly and Secondly, musically, if they have an interesting voice, a good musical sense. But then, of course, I always uh, deter to my musical director, say, am I right on this? Uh Is that a pretty voice? Right. Is that a nice voice? Because I like the honesty. Do you sit in the auditions together, or do you work with them separately? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So someone comes in and does a song, and then... Yeah. Well, I play, so I really can't... I don't watch them, but I can Mm -hmm. hear them, and I know Mm -hmm. how well they play with me, so that's how I... And sometimes... Well, sometimes we get into, like, a disagreement because he's behind the piano playing, and I'm out front watching, and he'll say, well, what about so-and-so? And And I'll say, yeah, but so-and-so didn't mean a word he or she said. Uh Yeah, but they sounded beautiful. Well, yeah, but... 
it was all technical. It, there was no heart there, right, you know, so right, I have to right. call that person in. And sometimes I like to have another piano player actually play so my musical director can see my point see of view. See the same thing that you are. Yeah. Mm. Well, uh, that was interesting. You said, Aaron, whether they can play with you. Um, and I used to sing, and I always felt like the accompanist's job was to you know, follow my lead. Mm. Do you handle it differently in an audition because you're trying to investigate, almost like direct them in a way from the piano? Um, well, so one thing that I really like about Theo is that the musicians become a part of the show. Right. Um, and during a lot of the auditions, Fred would, they would sing the song and Fred would say, okay, that was great, but I want you to do it again. Go sit by Aaron, just sing it with him. Mm-hmm. And, that I don't know. That tells me a lot, right there. Like they definitely make a change when that when they're told to do that, right? Because I don't know. Every song involves at least two people, right. you know. And so, yeah, that just sets up that relationship, you know. And there's always that push and pull between, you know. Okay, now the singer is in charge. Now the piano is in charge, you know. And I just think it's the mark of a, a great performer and a great performance, you know the push and pull from the two. And that's what's great about Fred and Theo because you can't get away with, you can't get away from that. You know, clearly there's a man playing the piano in the corner. There's not a pit. Right. You know, you have to acknowledge them and you have to make them a part of your world on the stage. Right. And I like that. I like being in shows like that. It makes me feel important. It makes me feel like, you know, my voice is a part of the show. Right. And... You're not just the and then I'm going to give an even better performance when I feel, you know. Yeah, a lot of these um, young yeah. singers come in, you know, they mostly have auditioned for larger spaces mm-hmm. and they sing to the balconies, right? you know, and I'll stop them immediately if I hear something good and I'll say, just go by the piano, pretend you're rehearsing it with uh-huh. Aaron, like you're just in a rehearsal. I'm not even here. You're learning it for the first time. Right. So this, all of a sudden the wall is broken down and that facade is broken down, and uh, um, rather than playing a character, they're playing themselves, and they're just, there's an ease to it. Yes, yeah. Which, of course, that, that's something else that I hadn't been thinking about, but the, the scale of the, the space is, of course, key to what you can do well Some there. might call it intimate. Yeah, some might. Call it I always say, um, don't sing, sing, don't sing over us, Sing to us. Mm-hmm. Don't sing above us, you know, because a lot of times, don't sing at us, sing to us. And they're probably trained for those bigger spaces. You know, you do have to send it to the back yeah. row. And and the, and the then what I'm now thinking about is that many of these songs were written to be performed that way. I mean, if you write a song for a big Broadway-type musical, you're expecting a certain type of performance. Does any of that show in how it's written, or is it just a tune? And, oh, yeah, yeah. like... I mean, my first thought was he wrote for Ethel Merman a lot. Right. And she did so well because she had the big voice and the big personality, and she could send a song all the way to the top balcony. That would not work in here. It would not work cafe, in here. Right? You know, if we did um, Anything Goes the way that Ethel did it, I mean, the audience would be right. stuck to the back of their chair, you know, <laughs> right. with their hair. <laughs> blown back. <laughs> blown right. back, you know. Right. I mean, right. we have to... In the rehearsal process, we have to keep pulling ourselves back. Like, mm-hmm. if you're too loud in this space, it can become kind of frightening, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And people think, oh, well, if she, if the girl can belt, that means she's a good singer. But really, in the end, 
the belt is one thing. Now controlling it and adapting it to this space, that's the um, the work and the art form, you know? Yeah. So we do have to say, okay, we got these songs. This is how they were. This is the voice we have. Now we have to adjust something it. Different. It's something know? different. Well, uh, Fred, is there anything that if, if some other artist somewhere wants to start doing a series of really great reviews in a cabaret space that you like the words of wisdom you would give to them the thing you have to know about well, this is I think is. the big thing is going back to the very top of this discussion mm-hmm. is to be faithful to the the composer uh-huh. and try to take yourself out of it as much as you can uh-huh. because it's they're the ones that wrote the brilliant music and lyric right and you're just there to um, re um reintroduce a right. new world to it. Right, right. Yeah, that, that That's the thing about this great art of the past. You know, there's someone who's never heard these songs before, right? And we mm-hmm. think, oh, it, it's been done so hundreds of, so hundreds of ways, we've got to do something new. But actually, you don't need to do anything new because you've got new ears. Yeah, right. that's right, yeah. Right. Well, I want to thank you both for coming to talk about the show. Thank you, Anne. Thank you. Thank you. 